so welcome to Unsigned 518. I am here with Jackie of the Nikki Brown Band and Sound Talent Group, which is, uh, and we were talking about it before we got rolling, but I guess maybe rewind it a little bit and start from the beginning because it's interesting what you do with uh, Sound Talent Group. So first of all, hi, how are you? Hi, Jackie? good. Thank you for having me. It's <laughs> great to be here. I love this little bunker you've got. This is yeah, nice. we, we call it the Dazzle Den. You know, okay. and it, it is a little bright now because it's, you know, obviously daytime and it black out the windows as much as possible. But the, I don't it, really think it's that bright. I think you're hungover. Yeah, I think that's probably, <laughs> that's definitely the case. Definitely. The, but I keep it as dark as I can because I like the lights. Good it's vibes. distracting. Um, so anyway, we'll get to we have so many things that we can tie in we'll probably forget some stuff there's probably some stuff that we haven't you know even thought of yet but with sound talent group you were saying that you work with groups all over the planet and mostly in like the metal genre so i guess kind of tell everybody we'll start there and then we'll get into you know your job yeah. as, a, as a drummer in nikki brown band but yeah so sound talent group is a is a booking agency um we are global although mostly we're North America and, and domestic, but we do, we have over 400 bands that we represent. So everyone is slightly different and we are a global agency. Um, so we work with bands from all over the place. I would say a good bulk of the roster is hard rock and metal, but we've got all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a couple of different regions that we work with and different genres that we work with, but I think our bread and butter is mostly hard rock uh, and I do tour marketing. So I oversee announcing all of the tours, all the shows, all the festivals, when we announce, how we announce, what the artwork looks like, designing the radio spots, uh, when we're going to spend money, how we're going to spend the money. And, whoops, sorry, go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, well, th I mean, that's something that a lot of people, like, don't think, you know, because uh, local bands will get on, like, a bill with a, a touring act that's coming through a lot of the time and when that first started happening i was always like how, you know how does this like how does this shit come together like how does somebody from you know seattle get my number you know like so is that something that you would do like would you also have a hand with you know if one of your bands is doing like a 30 city tour i don't know if that's a thing or if that's a reasonable mm -hmm. number but yeah, if no, it that's was about like an, that's a good average um but would you help kind of you know hook up the local acts along the way or uh it depends that's that's a, a little slightly different i mean we would we as the agents build the package so we decide okay. from the beginning who the bands are going to be and i mean you know that can be depending on the event it's usually four to five bands right. average roughly for most shows um and in most cases we get direction from whoever the headline band is as far as what they're looking for yeah. whether it's a certain genre uh, a certain size a certain budget certain availability based on what the dates are or what the you know where the tour is happening um so there's not a ton of finding like local artists um as a general rule, uh, but in some cases, a band will announce a headline tour and then they'll only want local bands. Right. So we'll announce it as whoever's headline tour and then we'll go through the promoters and we'll say we want, you know, one or two local bands and here's what we're looking for. Uh, or, you know, we want them to be able to sell a certain number of tickets or it's within a certain genre. Uh, so we do a little bit of that, but as a general rule, it's mostly designing a, a package of, you know, already somewhat relevant touring acts and is there like a lot of the 
creative stuff do you have a team for like you know because obviously flyers uh, and posters and artwork and the visual stuff is a a huge i'm i'm in uh, my day job is i'm a social media manager so like the visual aspect of stuff and like flyers is very important it's the whole thing it, at this yeah, point like right that's how you get people to who what's that and then they find out more information so is that something that you directly are involved in and like yeah so i don't personally design it myself right. but we'll work with the artist or their management team or their designer um and they'll come up with artwork that they really like or um you know it's it's funny the content conversation i mean we could probably spend 40 minutes just talking about this um and this is something that i think is relevant no matter how big your band is whether you know we deal with the same thing and we just play locally here in albany but um you really can never have too much content and a lot of that has to do with just the way that people consume things nowadays i mean think when you're scrolling through your your instagram or your social media like it's it's immediate and it's just like you know, if you're looking at sometimes with the carousel images, like I'll be on image three or four before I realize what it is this person's posting about. <laughs> yeah, and right. then I'm like, oh, wait, and then I have to go back. And so when you think about how quickly people cycle through material and the amount of material that you need to have prepared to send a, a message for, I mean, an average on sale campaign is about eight weeks. Right. Uh, sometimes it's a lot longer than that. Like I've got shows that I've already announced now that aren't until May or like we're getting ready to announce shows in June. Um, and so when you think about how much time that is to fill where you're trying to send a message, which is buy tickets essentially. Yeah. Um, but how many times can you say buy tickets to the show, buy tickets to the show? I mean, you have to keep it interesting and as somebody who creates content, you know how time-consuming it can be just to get yeah. an image or a video. Or and, I mean, I'm just doing, like, my day job is just one thing. You know, I work for a, it's a cottage shop, and we do, like, tiny homes and, uh, you know, small. So it's, like, one small little thing, and to create content out of that is fucking exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, and so to have, like... 400 you said <laughs> I feel really bad yeah for for the bands because I think that you know when you're in a band you're focused on writing songs and rehearsing songs or you're on the road and you're there's just so much to to work on and I creating content is a full-time job in itself Absolutely. and you know it's hard to make it interesting and exciting and engaging and, and daily like daily. you know they say I mean they say like if you're not posting something every, every single, single day. day you're losing your audience you know? yeah yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I feel for bands like we, we try to keep it at a, at a reasonable number. I mean, I would say like the general rule of thumb is we'll say over a five week period, you would probably want two to three static images and then right. two to three pieces of video content. But even the, the video content, like 30 seconds is long, you know, usually it's like 15 seconds. Yeah. So it's kind of, you well, know, you used to have like a 60 seconds. second trailer. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, those like long tour videos with like all the dates scrolling, like no one's right. really looking at that. So, you know, I'd rather have like a bunch of short, like 15 to 20 second videos. I mean, that's how weeks. everything gets consumed. These days. It's like nobody has that. You know, back back in the radio day, like a fifteen second commercial, we were like, "Ah, oh, this is like a waste of time. Like, right? Why are we even bothering producing this? Like, right. you know, a thirty second. You know, now it's like a fifteen second. The attention is, span, it's is long. not there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, um, the, the getting content and explaining why we need content and the types of content and keeping it interesting and engaging, like that's just an entire side to this that is tough for yeah. for everybody. Um, so that is a constant talking point day to day for me is just, you know, what else can we do? What else can we do? And it's, it's always just comes down to the content. Um, and so. is that something that like, um, you know, it, say just using like, you know, band X, just like a, a random band that's going on a tour. Like when you're like thinking about that, is that something that is all brought together then like presented as a package or is that like book the tour and then we'll figure everything out you know in a perfect world it happens at the same time okay. so the minute that we're talking about putting a tour together the earlier i get brought in the better uh because we just have a longer period of time to strategize uh what our rollout's going to look like uh are there any you know there's a lot of tools when it comes to things like pre-sales and e-blasts and you know promo partners and uh, the more time that we kind of strategize what tools we have at our disposal and how we're going to use them, the better. Um, worst case scenario is like I find out on a Friday night that we're announcing a tour on Tuesday and I get like a really like low quality piece of artwork and I have zero time to do right. and it's just slap it up and get the ticket links and hope for the best. Um, but I just think that with the buying trends being what they are, there's just so many bands out on the road right now. There's more bands touring now than ever. Uh, I also think that going overseas has gotten harder and a lot more expensive. So I think that there are some bands that used to spend a, a period of time in Europe or UK that are now maybe not doing that as often or the periods of time where they normally would not be active in the US. They're trying to fill that time right. in the US. Um, so I think that, you know, just when you look at overall how much time you have to, to sell tickets, those that first week is really important because that's when your media outlets are picking it up and people are talking about it and promoters are spending a little bit of money. And that, that announce and on-sale period is really, really important. So the more time we have to prepare right. for that, the better. But I don't always get the luxury of And it's kind of like that you only get uh, one chance at a first impression with something. So like that yeah. initial like, hey, here it is. If someone initially is ready to buy a ticket immediately, right. you don't want any barriers to entry. Because most people, especially I do a lot of stuff on like the club and theater level. And so if you're looking, you know, it's November. Uh, what are you doing May 16th like you, right. you probably don't know so, so you have your diehard fans that are like oh my god I love this band they're coming to my city I don't care what I'm doing May 16th I'm going to this show that's me on, but, on tomorrow no effects is uh last tour for, when did uh, you buy that ticket no I'm buying it tomorrow oh you're buying it tomorrow um, I'm okay. buying it tomorrow and, when and is the, the show? show is in September okay there you go so so yeah, no I'm matter like, what you're no going. matter what I'm right. going you know? but in most <laughs> cases I would say the last two weeks right. is probably, but there's a sweet spot where people also forget about it. And then they're like, Oh, I didn't get a babysitter. or I got, got a work meeting or like, so you try to hit that last, like the runway I'd say is like five weeks before the show date. So you have like a long period of time in the middle. You have your on sale, which is when your big announce happens and all the tour dates are rolling out and you've got video and you've got artwork, but then there's kind of a time in the middle, like the maintenance period where it kind of just sits um, and you know, tickets will move, but it, it slows so slowly, down it plateaus yeah. a little bit. Um, and you know, you kind of want to be strategic about how and when you spend your ad dollars too. So like you want your ad money to go as far it, as it can. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to do a, a spend in the middle, 
you have to hope that like people you know maybe it's like January or February and the show's not until May or June so maybe you get a couple more people that in January like okay oh yeah I remember now this is maybe the right. second or third time that a couple I'm, of the diehards that aren't quite super diehard but right. are like oh shit yeah it's but getting it's close I don't want to forget again you, you know? still have a group of it's still too early right. so you're going to spend all this money and then maybe move a couple of tickets but like most people prefer to save a bulk of the budget that we have available for like the last five weeks or so because that's when you really start to see a lot of movement so you kind of have to be strategic about that with when you announce how long you're on sale how much time you have to, to sell the tickets if you're going to do a spend in the middle what kind of material do you have to support that so like we can kind of map out roughly what we would need from an artist for like a perfect on sale campaign um ahead of time and then they've got you know theoretically eight weeks or a few months or whatever it ends up being to kind of map out what that is or tie in. They have a release coming out or new music or a single or right. a record or a merch drop or anything else that's kind of happening in their world. We try to tie that back to, to the tour dates. Um, so the more information that we have in the bigger picture story that we can tell the better. And is it so, you know, cause I mean, you've, I've heard of, you know, tours that maybe were less than successful. And is it something that, like, say a tour is mapped out, and again, all totally just hypothetical, but, like, say the tour is mapped out, and it's, again, a 30-city tour, and five or six things that, you know, it, there's no, barely any ticket sales, and it's just, like, not going well, and it's, like, obviously costing money. That's clearly, like, I can see by your face, that's clearly <laughs> something that is, a, is possible that could happen. Not just a hypothetical, yeah. uh, especially this day and age, that's... And then, so, in tough. that case, you would have to just pull the pull the plug and and patch the holes and cut the losses type of thing i mean that's pretty rare once yeah. it's booked it's it's pretty rare that it would just get fully canceled it has to be i disastrous. mean yeah <laughs> you know? and even still we've seen some disasters through to the end it's not i mean yes it does happen but i wouldn't say that that's like a, a common occurrence um and there's a lot of different things that you can do promotionally um whether it's papering moving the venue, scaling down the venue. Um, we do a lot of work with companies like Vetix or Groupon or, you know, where you can give away 100 or 200 tickets and right. have people that maybe they don't want to buy a ticket, but they'll come but they'll if you come. give them yeah. a free one. Um, we do a lot of, uh, like, promotional, like, buy one, get ones. Um, we do a lot of affinity buyers. So it's like, oh, you bought a ticket to this other show. You get a discount to this other one because we think this is something that you would like. So there's a lot of things that you can kind of do just to get people in the room. Um, and, you know, it it happens like the economy is terrible. <laughs> Covid's <laughs> coming back for like, I don't know what, the seventh time at this something point like that. Um, and, you know, people they've there's there's so many shows out there where maybe somebody used to be able to go your diehard concert goer maybe they went to two or three shows a week like maybe they're down to one or two and that's that's like your diehard most people maybe like once a month you know yeah. and or a couple times a year is like yeah a lot of people. especially like if you're yeah if you're going to like the bigger shows but yeah when you when you think about what goes into like we said getting a babysitter uh dinner drinks a t-shirt the ticket i mean it's really expensive Absolutely. to go to shows so um, it's harder to, to sell tickets. I mean, people are broke, you know, like milk and eggs are super expensive and <laughs> there's just so many other factors at play that like 
you know, it's tough to get people in the door. I think no matter how big uh, Taylor Swift doesn't seem to have this problem, but right. everyone short of that, I think on some yes. level, like I think the bands that before COVID, cause I mean, COVID really changed everything in our yeah, world. Do you, did you still... see like, what would you say, you know, cause I mean, it's kind of interesting to, to get like the national level, you know, cause I mean, local, I'd mostly do like local stuff, but mm-hmm. like I was that guy that used to go to a ton of, big shows all the time and covid is actually what made me be like i can't afford that anymore Mm -hmm. you know now i'm going to all the local shows or whatever but like pre-covid and post-covid like do you see like because some things came back harder you know what i mean they went away when everything closed and then like when it came back everybody was like now we're now we're going like a lot of there the was bars a resurgence and stuff. at yeah. first because people were just like let me out of my house like that those first like i want to say like eight months because i think so from what i if in my world it was like may of 21 was when we kind of start so the shutdown was march of 2020 yeah. may 21 was when it was like we were starting to put the map together as like you okay could go this to shows, is going to come back down and stuff yeah and there were could weird have a beer if you had a you could go to um like car racing shows but like you couldn't get you wouldn't get covid at the car race right. but you would get so yeah there was like a lot of stuff to figure out but that all that conversation really picked up in may but it wasn't until july that i think that we had like our first handful of bands that were going out on the road we'd had some regional stuff where they were playing kind of around where they lived or we had a couple adventurous artists that just didn't care and they would play anywhere that (laughs) we'd let them but for the for the for the most part it was july of 21 and i would say from july until probably that holiday season because that was when like the second wave like really started to come back again um but i think that there was just that initial excitement that like music was back we were wanted to get out of our houses we were <laughs> going a little bit crazy yeah, and there was this, i was like, one of those where boom. i was like i could not like when i heard that we, i was like i will fucking go see anything right now yeah like i don't care i don't care if it's like you know michael bolton sings you know (laughs) michael bolton songs uh but i would have been like i will go see that just because i had to get out and go see things yeah so then i think that it kind of leveled off where i think that um i mean everything that we just said about covid coming back and things being really expensive um but then also there were just so many bands out there were so every market is super saturated on every level uh obviously everything is super expensive right now that includes touring that includes buses that includes the fuel for the buses and the crews and everything that goes into putting on a show at a venue um the expenses are really high so everything is really expensive and um i think that it kind of just all hit a wall because i think that since then uh there's been some fluctuations in the trends but overall i think the bands that before covid were doing really really good business i think they're doing maybe slightly less business than they were before but then when you have the bands that were kind of in the middle and doing okay business they're now kind of closer to not great business and if the bands were not doing great before covid like it's (laughs) got to be nearly impossible now um so i think that everyone on every level felt a hit in some shape or another and i think also the bands that have played so that was you know we'll say summer of 21 i think the bands that have done multiple tours since that if if the band's been out four times since 
August of 2021, people are prioritizing seeing other shows because right. they've probably already, you know, so it's a lot of like, we're going to like secondary markets or, you know, there's a lot of uh, album plays or uh, anniversary tours or just kind of any angle that like fans might find interesting and a reason to go see the band if they've already seen them one to three times since COVID let up, you know? Yeah, yeah, because I, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, the band Tool, mm-hmm. and I've seen them, I don't know, a dozen or more times going back to, like, the early 90s, and, like, even, like, this last time that they came around, I, like, no, the time before, I tried really hard to get tickets, and they sold out too too fast, and then, like, this time, I literally was just like, oh, well, you know, it's like, I've, I've had my time, like, I just, like, if I felt like I, like, didn't have that energy because once you miss them, they're fucking six hundred bucks. Yeah, you know what I mean. If you don't get, and even if you get them, the minute they go on sale, they're still one hundred and eighty dollars or whatever. But so I mean, I, I kind of understand the sentiment of like shit. It's harder to like, and I I was just attributed to me being old, but maybe it is. A, I think know? I th- I think it. So I'm. A little bit younger than you, but not a lot younger than you. And I think that COVID happened at a pretty pivotal time. Like, I think I got old and COVID happened. Like, I feel like those time periods overlapped for me where, like, I it's like I feel like looking before COVID, I was like, oh, I was so young. I was so carefree. Life <laughs> yeah. was so. And it's like, was that COVID? What did it just these last four years, like, just absolutely destroy us? Or did I just happen to get old like what you know what i mean it's yeah I, there's no, a lot of overlap know, like, in that exactly what <laughs> you last, mean like, <laughs> i feel you like know? i've aged more than four years in the last four years yeah so oh 100 percent. might mean, have I, happened anyway but it's it's hard to say yeah it's uh it's it's it was a bit of tough been a tough couple yeah. years and you know and, and it's funny like as a you know we'll get into um who you know personally that are in local bands like we have you know mutual friends we'll play some music from them that is unreleased as of yet but uh i want to like kind of angle into like the i don't know like how i'm trying to say it but the the logistics behind coming up with like how do you take a band and say like, do you guys decide how many cities it's going to be, how lengthy of a tour it's going to be, um, where it's going to go? Like, that's all in-house. Mm-hmm. So it's... I- There's a lot of strategy that goes into routing a tour. Um, sometimes it's based around um, a festival or an anchor date at a, you know, they'll get uh, a really good offer to play a festival somewhere. So we'll route them to and from the festival or <laughs> maybe it'll be like multiple festivals. So we kind of dictate uh, sometimes not so much these days, although there's still a lot of bands that do it this way. Um, radio play, radio shows, um, you know, it's kind of based around a number of different things, but mostly it's based around money. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's funny how you say like if there's a festival. So like literally if there was like, oh, they got invited to a, a you know, festival in California and they're a New York band, you'd mm-hmm. figure out, well, we can they can play here in this city, in that city, in that city on the way out. It's to, not always like, just to or from like a beginning to end, but maybe they know they're going to do a West Coast tour. So maybe we have to fill, uh, you know, two weeks of shows up and down the West coast. Um, or, you know, so it's, it's not always just from point A to point B. It can be kind of relevant to anything that's really happened. Sometimes right. it's, we have a record coming out on this. It's, you know, to support a new record. Um, so we work with the artists to kind of figure out how many cities, 
um, which cities, where do we start, what are the budgets, you know, all of that kind of goes into the planning process. And so how would like, uh, you know, again, throwing out hypothetical, hypotheticals, but like if like a local band, like or any band, like how would a band and you start a relationship? Is it something that like you talent scout like a... Mm-hmm. You be like, hey, you want to work with that, or like, do people submit stuff to you? Like, how does everything that you, you, all different, both. all different ways? Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that everyone in the industry, I think to some extent, does A and R. I think right. you like what you like, and you know, you have your own ways of finding artists or the artists that you work with have art. Like, there's all. I think everyone kind of has their own, but everybody does. A and R, um, in, in some capacity, but, uh, I also think that, um, wait, I totally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was the question? How do we start the relationship? Yeah. Like how um, does a relationship start? Like, yeah. is it like more, you know, more somebody reaching out to you saying, Hey, we're, you know, we're a local band and we want to take it to the next oh. level. Or do you guys say, Hey, yeah, we want to take you to the next level type of thing. I think that what's really cool about the music business is that it's, there's really, I mean, there's more rules now than there used to be back in the day, but they're still relatively like kind of the Wild West. Right. Like if you find a band that you are really, really passionate about, you're going to do everything that you can to build that band up. And I think that um, there's going to be people that tell you, you know, they don't make enough money. They're not big enough. They don't have the number. It's all, you know, especially now with the digital in in the digital age, there's a lot of like analytics that we rely on with views and clicks right, and right. likes and like there's that used to be spins back in the day. So like there's always been some quantifiable I measure still call of it like, spins. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> but there was always something to quantify. But if you think that any artist that, you know, started at nothing didn't find somebody that believed in them that like right. you're going to get told no you're going to be told that they're not big enough or that they don't have the numbers but if you believe in something there's absolutely nothing stopping you from from trying to make it happen and I think that everyone that I know and work with in the industry has done that to some extent where we're all music fans and we right. just find something that resonates and we really like a band and we don't care who tells us no and sometimes it ends up being nothing sometimes it's just a labor of love and a great friendship that may or may not be successful and then sometimes the band blows up massively and you're the person that believed in them when right. no one else did so the process of finding bands is like kind of individual as far as and it almost seems like it would be you know finding bands would just if you're a music fan it would be just a natural thing you know what i mean like you're just aware of all these bands it's not like you'd be like all right i gotta go out and find a band for work today you're just like oh hey this band is great you know and you just happen to be in a position where you could you could help help a band and And it's a balance too because i mean there is we it is a business. So right. there's a lot of work that comes through from managers or labels or other artists or, you know, you do want the bands that they already have the buzz. They're already out there touring. Like, because I've fallen in love with bands where I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This is my shiny new penny. I love this band. <laughs> but then they don't want to go on tour. They're like, no, we just make music in our garage. Like, and I'm like, are you sure you don't want to live in a van and make <laughs> right. sleep in mall parking lots and make well, no money for I always years? joke that like, I'm so glad that like we started this band when I was, you know, the, the band that I met when we were like 
you know, yeah. I was 48 years old and I'm like, because I have, I, touring to me sounds terrible. Yeah. And like, if I was a 21 year old, that would be the only thing mm-hmm. that I would ever want to do is, right. the, you know, people be like, you want to live in a van? I'd be like, yes, I do. <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's. Because yeah, you have you to do everything. that journey, you know what I mean? And yeah. Very, 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 very few bands go from local band to national without that no, you have without to that journey. You have to. I mean, pavement, yeah. yeah. And even those bands that do skip that very important step usually don't have any staying power, you know what I mean? Well, I think that's a really interesting phenomenon that we're seeing a little bit of now because um, of TikTok and right. YouTube. And you can be you know, a, a great, you could have a really great video. You can produce some, like you can be great online, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like you are an entertainer or right. should be out. You know what I mean? So I think that, um, that's really interesting. And it also, I think speaks to the attention span thing that we were talking about earlier, where it's like just kind of that immediate entertaining short term, uh, you know, like, Oh, this is really cool on TikTok, but do I want to spend $40 to go see this? Like right. at event, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of, um, it's just so accessible to everybody. So I think really kind of like having an idea of what kind of the application or like what your vision is and how much they want to work. And, you know, there's a lot that, that goes into it. Um, that, you know, there's tons of entertainment out there and there's really, really talented people that now have a platform that, you know, before social media wouldn't otherwise have had a platform. Um, so it's really cool because we kind of see, I think, more art and talent and music than we ever would have been able to before. Right. But with that also comes a lot of stuff that's like should probably just stay on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like also like to to do the tour, you know, it takes more than just talent. Mm-hmm. It takes a, a t- type of personality that's going to deal with, you know, because it's not all glamour and like you know you're you're going from one city to another it ends up being a blur you're on a bus like mm-hmm. you have to have that like mm-hmm. you have to have something in it and it's hard and it could certainly break people it's know? very hard it's harder now than it's than it's ever been i've and, seen a lot of rock and roll documentaries you know yeah <laughs> like, but when you if you're you know first of four and maybe you've got a bit of a buzz or a relationship or you know there's a lot of bands that get opening slots on tours but like you could be making like, I don't know, 200, 300, $400 a night. And when you look at what goes into paying for everything and, and you've got right. five people in your band, like, how do you, how do you afford that? Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, I mean, I, as a local band, we just don't even ever plan on making any money. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what keeps us happy. We're like, oh, well, we're not going to make any money. So when we play shows and at the end of the night we get $13, we're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. Whatever. I mean, not whatever, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think. Yeah. No. I think that doing this for fun. Um. Because I mean, that's we're all in the same boat. We all yeah. have day jobs. We're all busy yeah. adults. We don't. We're not planning on going on the road no. anytime soon. And that's something that. Um, but that keeps it fresh. It does, it, like, and it 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 keeps it not only keeps it, but it makes it so that it's. Like, I don't want to say, like, role, like I'm role-playing, or you know what I mean? But it, there's not that risk, you know? There's not that risk, because we have day jobs, and, like, right. we're doing this for fun. For fun, yeah. And if, you know, th- things fall apart... Or the minute okay, it stops you know? being fun, right. where we're you right. feel like band practice is just 
another job that you're not yeah. getting paid and for. And band practice is my favorite time. You know, we practice right. in this room once a week, and it's like my favorite time of the week because mm-hmm. I hang out with my friends and, Same. like, you know, we have some beers and play some songs, and it's awesome. And yeah. Like, and if it was, you know, and not to say, you know, because obviously if a band wants to make a career of it, you just have to have that something that I don't have, you know what I mean? Because it's a risk. You have to understand that it's a risk and it could be great or fucking terrible and you're not going to know until you, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but until you jump, you don't know. Like, Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that being in a band, even just for fun and locally, gives me a perspective and appreciation for what my bands that I work with go through um, and just understanding like, you know what it's like to try, you know, you're, you're a family, essentially. Right. I mean, we've gotten, you know, we mostly agree and get along, but like, it's an emotional project and everyone has feelings and varying degrees of what they're able to commit to it at and any different given time. moods on any different given day. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're obviously all great friends and that comes first, but if we were to pursue this beyond just the level that we're doing it at now, I mean, yeah, you love your four best friends, but would you open a business with them? And not <laughs> right. only open a business, but sleep in a van. Yeah. And, you know, like when you're you are not. isolated <laughs> with this group of people. Yeah. And then you also have to get up every day and perform and be creative and write songs and practice your instrument. And, like, there's just so much that goes into being a band that I feel just even on a small level. And I have so much appreciation for what bands do to come to our cities and entertain us. (laughs) Well, I definitely want to talk about um, your role as a drummer in the Nikki Brown band, which is a a local band. We've talked for a a long time about a very interesting topic for me because like, you know, obviously I've gone to concerts plenty of times, but I've never really, I've never really put too much thought into the (laughs) machine that goes beyond, you know, behind making. You just don't think about it. You Mm -hmm. see a poster and you're like, cool, I want to go to that. And then you buy a ticket and you go to it and you're like, that was fucking rad. That poster was designed and strategically placed and promoted. And and everything is thought out. Like, it's very interesting to me. We're stocking your every move (laughs) and your Google searches. I'm I'm in marketing myself. You've left a ticket in your cart. (laughs) (laughs) You've left a ticket in your cart. Oh, well, might as well check it out Um, but so let's listen to a song. We'll we'll take a little break. We'll we'll play a song um, from a, a local band who you actually have a tie to. I got a text from him this morning, uh, Matt Delgado of Erie, and you know, you know, we were saying that there's a lot of people that that you know in the area that that you went to college with. That you went to, what out in Oneonta it was. Yep. And then they are back here, so you're like, I know so many people that I went to college with, and they're all doing cool music things. So, um, you texted Matt while we were sitting right here about what song you were gonna play. So, what what did you say you had? Yeah. So they're just Matt Delgado is the best. He is a total uh, connector person. And we were talking before we started about just, you know, the music business in general is a very small world. And just, you know, I'm always kind of routinely when I have those like full circle moments where I'm like, oh my God, I can't (laughs) believe this person knows this person. And I think that Oneonta was very similar. And I lived in New York for 12 or 13 years and I had the same experiences down there where I would just find these like random connections of connections of connections of kids that went to Oneonta. (laughs) Like we were such a tight knit group of, friends that were all kind of doing the music thing um 
And Delgado's just in both of those categories, and he's just been, I love Erie, I love their music, I love all the guys in that band, and I feel like anytime I've been stuck with either we're putting on a show and I need another band or ideas or even he's Matt has gone as far as to like learn all of the songs for an emo show that we uh, played last year. And he just joined our band temporarily because we needed a second guitar player. So they're the best um, They're They've connected us with so many people. That's actually how I came yeah. to be acquainted yeah. with you. Um, so yeah, they're the best. Um, this record came out, I think, back in the spring. I think it was April, um, like early early April. Anyway, it's a great record. Um, and the song that we wanted to play was Don't Wait for the Sun. Okay, so cool. Let's listen to uh, Don't Wait for the Sun, Eerie. And then we'll be right back with Jackie. And we'll talk some, uh, talk some more stuff. So that was eerie, um, and we're we're talking about um, 
you know, local bands, you're in Nicky Brown band, you're a drummer. Um, and I, I should tell you, I don't know if you know, and this is organic. We didn't talk about this ahead of time, but Chad from Erie, uh, does a podcast called 518 Beat Keepers that records right I here. I did know that actually. So we need to get you. We need to get you on that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And maybe and maybe we'll get uh, Matt Delgado to come out, even though you know he's not a drummer. Just because you you know you you have go back back with him. We'll, we'll yeah, get him out. Absolutely, here. that'd be great. We'll make it a party. Um, but so I guess tell me a little bit about uh, Nikki Brown Band. You know, we were saying. Um, you know, shortwave radio band, my band was a cover band and then we got into originals and now I you know, we wanted to put toes back into doing cover shows, not just because they're super fun, but there's such a market for it, mm-hmm. I guess, around here. Like do you agree with Absolutely. The, yeah. yeah. So um the Nikki Brown band actually has kind of a funny history. Um, as I we were talking about just before the break, uh, we all went to Oneonta. Right. Um and at that time we were all music industry majors and we were studying everything from, you know, entertainment law to radio to like, there's, it was all encompassing. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of late nights. It was a lot of shows. We were running music industry club and we were doing a lot of work for bands essentially. And we were like, why don't, you know, we're going to do all this stuff and then like never even be a band. Like, let's just be a band. (laughs) But the, none of us played instruments. So um, Nikki was like, well, yeah, I can sing, of course. And none of us even like could. I'd pick up trombone before I volunteered to like sing in a band. So <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I played I sit as far away from the microphone as I can. But um, so like some of the guys in the band were like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I played bass or I've got a bass at home or they they all had like some starting point. I think our guitar players at that time played guitar, but no one else really had played. We just sort of kind of knew something except me. I didn't know anything about drums, but I wasn't going to let them start band without me and none of them wanted to play drums. So I was like, I guess I'm now the drummer. Um, So I had to learn immediately. Like I was learning drums as I was learning to be in a band. Um, and I, I went to, um, I was working at a restaurant at that time. And so like I'd save money and I went to the local music store near where I lived and I was like, I need, I need a drum. I need everything. And so I bought like the all in CB, um, five piece. It came with everything, the throne, the cymbals, the hardware, the whole thing, like 350 bucks. And I remember just glowing like driving home it was like my I had to borrow my mom's car <laughs> and like I was I didn't even know how to play this thing I didn't know how to put it together I didn't even hadn't even thought about what band practice was going to be like but I had just bought a drum set and it was like the most exciting day of my life and uh the first thing I did was paint it neon pink so I had like because you know if you don't know how to play drums you should definitely be obnoxious about your uh-huh. so I painted the drums neon pink and we started the band and at that time we were called the runs um and we ended up having a great time I mean we we played for I think the last two years that we were in college and you know we were doing all kinds of like showcases for the radio station and we had done rock combo which was the program through the school so we actually got like credit for being in the band and so we kind of learned how to be in a band but none of us like innately really were kind of musicians um so the runs uh obviously we all graduated and we kind of went our own ways and uh most of us played in other bands most of the guys in my band uh were in other projects and funny enough we were all in other projects that did mostly original songs um 
And it wasn't until I moved back to Albany, which was 2018, that we kind of all came back together. I called Bill, our guitar player. Um, we started, you know, hanging out and I was like, we, we've got to start a band. Like we've got it. And Nikki was, we had kind of, you know, just kind of all got back together. We had lost touch a little bit. And it was so cool that everyone was in Albany and that everyone at, you know, almost 40 years old, like still wants to spend time being in a band and like spending your weekends going to band practice and you finish like a long day at work and you're tired. And the last thing you want to do is like go down to your cold basement and like learn songs, but we do it and we continue to do it. And I'm so grateful that I have like an awesome group of friends that finds this to be as much fun as I do. Um, so we came back together and that was actually where Nikki Brown got her name. Um, it was just like a more grown up version of the runs. Her last name's not actually Brown. <laughs> um, but That's the running awesome. joke was that we were just a shitty cover band. So, um, we kind of, you know, kept the, kept with the storyline. And I, I'd say that we've all, we're definitely just, we still like to say we're just like the runs just grown up because, you know, we're still innately not musicians. Um, but we have a great time with it and we've met amazing people, um, just through playing shows and the local scene. And like I was saying before, um, I mean, I lived in New York city for years and that was cool and wild. And, you know, it was like its own kind of experience, but the community that I've experienced since being up here is just like the coolest people, so talented, so down to earth. And everyone is just so willing to help people out yeah. and make connections and phone calls. And everyone just wants to do it to have fun. And I've met amazing people um, through the local scene up here. So that's been awesome. But about a year ago, we ended up um, kind of falling into this like cover band scene. Uh, when we first started Nikki Brown, our intention always was to start writing and doing some originals. And like that was like a big like progress mark for us. And like I said, a lot of us had played in other bands and we'd all written different songs and we all kind of come from different backgrounds. Um but a, a little over a year ago, we got the idea to do this Halloween cover show, which actually was something that we did back in Oneonta. And we're like, how fun would it be if everyone just got to like pick a band and cover the band and you just go play a set and it's Halloween. And we had an amazing time. Um, we had, I think, six, I think we had five or six bands last year. And then we actually had seven um, this past year. And it just was so much fun and everyone that came out to the show loved it. The bands loved it. And then from there that kind of just like snowballed into, um, we, we did like an emo themed, uh, cover show for Halloween or I'm sorry for Valentine's day. It was like an anti Valentine's day emo. Um, we had a photo booth and we had all these emo props and, um, yeah, I think that, you know, so we've ended up kind of going off course and just finding our little niche in the, in the cover world. But I think that, when you, you know, people, especially locally, when they're going out and they're having drinks and I think they like the familiarity. Like, I think people just love the covers. I mean, even at Empire Live, they do, you know, the Taylor Swift night and the new metal night. And it's like, it's just someone on stage, like emo night. It's just somebody on stage, like w with their phone, like playing songs right. and people <laughs> buy tickets. First of all, it's like a $15, $15, $20 ticket. And then you're paying to drink at the venue all night. And then you're just singing songs along with someone's phone and they, they sell out. And not only do shows like that sell out, it's like the highest bar tabs per head right. of all of the shows that it's people like, go it, to these it, venues. It's so true like with the 
people want to hear what they know. Like, and I mean, we, you know, have originals and we try to do like, you know, a, a fully original set. And we always sneak like two or three cover songs in and every fucking time it's a cover people song that kills. Yeah. That, you know, we play a Fugazi song and like people go and we're like, yeah, you know, we just played seven originals in a row you know <laughs> like and you're yeah. freaking out over the cover song that we spent you know a one evening learning and then but it, it's got it's, it's, it's tough, really got us thinking where we're like you know give them give them what they want why not you know so we're like starting to think about doing cover shows because not only is it fun like as a musician you know i mean i and i say musician loosely because i'm not like a professional musician you know i'm just a neither am I. guy in my garage like with my buddies like you know making music but like learning cover songs is so much fun and like really perfecting it taking a song that you like and like really perfecting it and presenting it is so much fun and i think there you know there's room there's there's room in the scene for cover bands, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I hate it when, and I, it's funny because before this got started, I used to kind of poo-poo people that would talk shit about cover bands because that's what we were, you know, and I'd be like, talk shit about cover bands, that's ridiculous. And then when I got in an original band, I still feel that almost like defensiveness for like, hey, 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 don't talk shit about cover bands, you know what I mean? Like, so. Yeah, no, I think that, um, I think it's, first of all, just a great way to learn yeah. music. Yeah, um, yeah. There's all kinds of, I mean, we we have multiple different sets and different genres, so I feel like I'm constantly being pushed outside my comfort zone of, like, if it was just up to me, like, the songs, I would just play what I like to play, but, you know, there's four other people influencing our decisions in this band, so, like, songs I would never in a million years even think to cover or, like, things that I... It's, you know, when you see your progress, I think it's really like songs that when I was younger, I would really struggle to play and be like, oh, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to learn this. And then one day you just like nail it. And it's yeah. so satisfying. And, and, like, and it's also um, satisfying when you're learning a when you're like, all right, you know, because when I'm going to learn a cover song, like I sit down and obviously the first thing I do is try to find like tablature or whatever and then like listen to the song. And like sometimes like when, you know, I'm listening to the song and I'm like, wait, I wonder if I, and then just try to figure out the baseline without the tablature. And then I, I figured out like 30 seconds. I'm like, oh my God, like where was it? Where was this when I was like 20 something right? and it would take me six months to learn yep. a song, you know? Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's fun. And yeah, I mean, I have so much respect for bands that write their own music. I mean, again, we all were in other projects that did that and there's a, that's a whole other skill. It's Absolutely. a whole other way of using your brain. It also requires a lot of chemistry and connection with the people that you're writing with. And, uh, you know, just, we always, and it seemed in the original bands that I played in, we had the hardest time ending songs. So we would have these, like, none of us could write an ending. We could write songs all day long, but then we just could never bring it in for a landing. Right. And so we would have these, like, yeah, they're like these fun little like it was mostly just like rock and roll and punk rock. But like we'd be up to like seven minutes and there would be like a breakdown <laughs> and like a solo and like solos one and two. And it's like we just needed we just could never. And there's just so much creativity that yeah. goes into to the the songwriting process. And um, I think that it's awesome that bands do that and they 
pour their heart and soul into it and they get up there and they play shows with or without people and like i just obviously i i I have a lot of respect for both absolutely kind of um and and you know and anybody who you know like feels that like a cover band is less of a band which i don't agree with at all but like look at any orchestra you know Mm -hmm. you're going to see people that are playing music that was written several hundred years ago right they're not writing you know like they're playing somebody else's song which essentially is just a big cover band right so (laughs) yeah orchestra folks you know i think our sweet spot like we would like to get back to writing we had started the process and then a bunch of us had ideas that we had brought in from other projects and then like i said we kind of just diverted down this like amazing rabbit hole of like the cover world and it's been over a year now we've met awesome people we've played awesome shows um they're always kind of centered around a theme so like that's always really fun and to the have shows a... get buzz you know what i mean yeah like the shows they're... have all done well um my favorite part at the end of the night is being able to give the band some money because they we all work so hard and like everyone works all day and then you gotta rush home and load up your drums and get, like it's it's so much work and all of the people that come to see us play are there because of all of the bands that worked so hard to promote it and we've been fortunate so far that all of the events that we've done knock on wood have all made money um and you know covered expenses and then made money and i just i love being able to pay bands like yeah. it's you know that's and the fact that people come out to see a full cover lineup and you know we've done at the emo show we had a photo booth and then we did the punk rock cover night at Fusebox, which was very deliberate in wanting to get back to the roots and doing like a good like old school punk rock cover night um and people just love that kind of stuff so like the support that you feel from people that are just there because they love punk rock or they love emo or it's halloween and they want to come out and see a bunch of bands dressed up like other bands like there's just such a cool little network of people that come out to support that so our you know we've had an amazing year and i think that like our sweet spot would to mix in like a a handful of our original songs like i'd like to have a few more nikki brown originals um we'd started them and they've kind of just been sitting unfinished um but that's kind of on our agenda for the next few months is to take a break from some of the shows that we've been doing and get a couple originals under our belt but then honestly we're probably just going to continue doing the cover thing because it's been awesome right and it's and like i said i'm thinking about getting back into doing cover shows because it's awesome and it's it's like you know and it's fun and like when we first our first original song we would do a two or three hour set of covers with one fucking original just one that's all you need one original and it was i was a big deal would be like hey (laughs) this is ours like yeah you're welcome yeah and then you know it rolled into something else and now i'm like god i miss i miss that like i miss taking a song or like hearing a song and being like I want to do our version mm-hmm. of that, you know, because we always try to not do exactly the same, you know, because. Well, there's two schools of thought there. I mean, I think there's so even just in our band, there's kind of two sides. There's members on our side that they really, really like Bill. He has such an ear. Uh, our guitar player, Bill, has such an ear for exactly what they're doing in the song. He's got a pedal for everything. He watches multiple versions. He wants to do it as close to the song as he can and I think that that's like 
its own art, being able to hear something and recreate it. We have it a guy, Lonnie, perfectly. our guitar player, exact exact same way. Like and, it's all uh, about but the typical details like drummer. That, you know. I'm like, oh, it's close <laughs> enough. He's got. I like, mean, I'm the bass. Like, I'm a bass player, and I, I mean, I can't even tell you how let's many. Let's go off script, guys. Like easy <laughs> for me to say. I'm, I'm like, playing rock wow, the that's entire a, time. Very complicated bass line. I bet you I can hit just three. Yeah, I'll just hit three notes. It's that's fine. You know, it's yeah. Fine. <laughs> and fine. so like there's um, like our other guitar player is way more just like I'm going to get the general gist of this, but then I'm going to play it my way. And it's funny because I think also in doing that, your influences really kind of come through. So, for example, uh, we just went as No Doubt for the Halloween show that we just played. <laughs> and that was actually that one gave us a little bit of a run for our money. It's not. Typically, the style, I mean, there was a lot of groove. It's a lot of like, there was just so much of their influence that really just kind of wasn't our background. And I mean, it was really challenging. I mean, I they're think we essentially it off. a ska band in the yeah, early days. Which know, like, we are not. We didn't yeah. have, we didn't, we don't, none of that. We don't have groove. We don't have horns. We don't have <laughs> any of what we needed. It's to. a tough, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, we pulled it off, I think. And uh, it was challenging. We all learned. And it kind of pushed us all to our limits. But our guitar player was like, I'm going to learn the song, but then I'm going to make it my own. And he's comes from like a very like metal kind of background. So like the first time we Pinch started ripping shit, into know, like, spider yeah. webs, he was playing it like master of puppets. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, like that. That's what I think is so cool that everyone's coming from a different background and you've got somebody that wants to recreate something exactly as it is. And you have them like really, really listening closely and recreating these sounds. And then you've got the other side that's like, no, we're going to kind of make this our own and having that all kind of bleed together and like balance out somewhere in the middle is just such a cool process. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I know, uh, like on some of the cover shows, like, you know, we were talking a little bit about James Mullen sees Atlantis. Like he's, Mm. he's a buddy of mine and I know he, they did what, have they done one or two? They did. They did two of our shows. I know they were Foo Fighters one year. They were Foo Fighters just this past year, and they they killed it. They just beginning to end nailed it. The wigs, the whole yeah. they <laughs> killed it. Um, and then they played the we we did the fuck the bollocks uh, punk rock cover night yeah. at the fuse box, and that was a collection of that wasn't one band that was. Uh, a whole set of all different and they really uh what was cool is uh they really kind of pushed the envelope with the punk definition i mean for their last song they closed their set with bulls on parade and the place just fucking went wild and it was like not punk rock but in itself like that was punk rock yeah everyone just went crazy and it was like just all around great set um but actually they also um i at one point and i i like encourage them to play a couple originals because i think they just have like some banger songs one in particular they know that i just i think it's like seriously one of the best songs ever written um and so at one point during their set they actually i had them play some originals because i just i love to give the bands like we were just talking about you spend all this time pouring your heart and soul into it and you know to just have this huge audience of people that are just hearing your covers like i wanted them to have that opportunity so i think they played maybe like three of their original songs through maybe four three um and then the rest was covers but they had an awesome set and i think they're such a great band do we want to um you said you wanted to maybe play a c's song oh yeah which 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 one do you want to put on there it's called atlas shrugged sweet this is just and as a bass player i mean 
the bass is just perfect. I mean, Mike has got. I'm so so jealous of Mike's bass playing. <laughs> like, His so, tone, so much. Like, yeah, live. It's just. It's so good. They're yeah, such a good band, but they know that I'm. I'm sure when they. Uh, you know, I was listening to it on Spotify and there was a week where, you know, when it just strikes you and you just play it over and over and over. And I was like, they're going to get their like check and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> we got 30 cents. <laughs> <laughs> when I say a couple hundred, I it was probably a couple hundred. But well, I think nice. the song is just that good. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, let's listen to Atlas Shrugged, uh, Seas Atlantis, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up with Jackie.
All right. So that was Atlas Shrugged. Uh, Seas Atlantis. Good, good friends of the podcast. Good friends of the band. Good friends of mine personally. Great, great dudes. Um, but Jackie, I want to thank you so much. This has been really interesting. Um, I learned so much about the uh, behind the scenes of what it takes for like a, you know a national or international band, and I guess a little bit of the path what it would take for a local band to kind of build up to and get to that point so it was really interesting i'm glad you came out i had a, I had a lot of fun um but before we go i want to give you a chance to say what i call your gratitudes or thank yous or whatever so like i always say microphone is all yours cool yeah um i mean i have so much gratitude uh just seriously for this entire experience of just being able to do this at our age and being with a bunch of like-minded people and great friends and friends that I've known for 20 plus years that are still just like so true to themselves. They're just still doing it and like loving it. And I'm, I'm so grateful every single day that I wake up and get to do, we say cool shit with our friends. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess, first of all, you know, shout out to Nikki Brown and the well diggers. They're just my best dearest friends and I have so much fun with them. Um, also definitely want to thank my neighbors for listening <laughs> to our rehearsals over and over and over in the basement. Um, Matt Delgado, for sure, our connector, who's just always got an answer or an idea or a solution or willing to help or learn an entire set and jump on stage. Like he's just the best. And all, almost all of the people that we've met through this have been a connector of, of Matt Delgado. So <laughs> huge thanks to him. Um, definitely everyone at Empire Live. I mean, Ted is just a staple in the music world up here. And he just believes in everyone. He's such a great guy. He's been doing it forever and ever. Um, and he's just anything that we need. He's, he's there for us. So everyone at empire live really can't thank them enough. Um, and yeah, I mean all the bands that, that we've played shows with like sad dads, they're just the best. They put on such a great show. They're so much fun. Their covers. Like we just, I feel like our bands are just like, and so I, I haven't met them, but I've heard nothing oh, but good things about amazing. them. So, like, I'm super excited. Like, I actually think awesome. every show that we've played locally as Nikki Brown, they've been on the band, cool. on the bill, because I, I just think that they're um, amazing. Uh, we do a lot of work with the band, the, the Mopar Cams. They're actually from Oneonta, but they play here um, very often. But also the, the guitar player and singer in Mopar Cams was our teacher in Oneonta <laughs> that kind of taught us the ropes and showed us how to be in a band. So it's super cool that 20 years later, our bands are right. still playing shows together. Um, and he's been super encouraging pretty much our entire adult lives to just keep doing what we love doing. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I could go on cause I just have met so many cool people. Um, but there was just one other band. I just wanted to give an honorable mention, uh, Millington, I see you've got a trombone hanging on the wall yes. there. They're, uh, they're ska, local ska band, and I think they're just amazing. They're so much fun to watch, so high energy. They're great dudes. Um, they've actually got a show coming up at Empire Live on December 8th. Um, so if you're around, go check them out. They're amazing. I'll have to get them um, on the show because I'm uh, a, a fucking huge ska fan. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Beatdown Generation, Welcome Home are two songs of theirs. They're incredible. They put on a great live show. They're so much fun. Um, so yeah, go check them out. Or well, you know what we Pat. could do is uh, once you wrap up, we could actually just end the show with the Millington song if you want to do that. You know, oh we could, yeah, we could absolutely do that. So we'll 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 throw one on once you're done with your your gratitude. So. <laughs> well, I'll wrap it up there. 
Um, and I, you know, of course, thank you for having me. Um, this was awesome. It's really cool to meet you and see the the bunker. What's this? The the dazzle den. The dazzle den. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so thank you. And, uh, I want to hear a welcome home from, from Millington. Okay, cool. Well, uh, Jackie, thank you so much for coming out. It's really been a pleasure and I'll, um, you know, link to the socials, like any social accounts that you want on here so that people can easily find you. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. So, uh, thank you for coming out. And what, what was the song that we wanted to hear? Uh, welcome home. All right. Well, cool. Well, 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 and you know, and it's funny, I've never actually uh, done the play out, you know, like on the podcast. Oh, well, we'll have this song play us out. We'll go out on uh, a high note. Yeah, here. we'll go out on a high <laughs> note. So let's let's listen to Millington and then we'll wrap it up here. And I'll just say that uh, I'm Andy Skillen. This is Unsigned 518 and we'll see you on the road.
Unsigned 518 is produced in conjunction with Nippertown. You can find new episodes here every week on nippertown.com. If you are a band or musician in the 518 area code and would like to be on Unsigned 518, shoot me an email at unsigned518 at gmail.com. I'm your host, Andy Scullin. I'll be back next week with another episode of Unsigned 518. Thanks for listening.